Thank you, worship team. He is indeed good. One of the ways God's been good to us, one of the many, is uh, he's given us his word to guide us, uh, to speak to our hearts, to teach us, and uh, to point us ultimately to him. And so we want to want to wrap up a series that we began some weeks ago on the Holy Spirit. We committed as a congregation to learn together, to grow together through this series. Um, And when we talk about the Holy Spirit, he's kind of the forgotten one in the Trinity. Um, We talk a lot about the the Father and the Son, and rightfully so. Um, But we tend to forget about the Holy Spirit's role in our life, and what does that look like, and We've interacted with a lot of questions, um, especially about some of the abuses, the excesses. We've talked about tongues, prophecy last week, and um, if you've missed any of the series, I encourage you to, um, beauty of technology, you can go on our church website and find some of those messages that maybe you weren't here for um, to kind of keep in the flow of what we've been learning. As always, though, we'll continue to look through our study through the lens of Scripture, um, as we learn together. And I, I kind of want to, two things, I want to touch upon um, two of the sign gifts we didn't get to last week and then kind of wrap up our study a little bit. Um, I think there's a, there's a rationale, a method to the madness, so to speak, about how, why we want to do this, um, this way. So, but before we do, let's pray. Let's ask God's Spirit to teach us. Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the people of God. We know, Lord, that really the ingredients, if I can use that word of spiritual growth, is the word of God, the people of God, the spirit of God. So Holy Spirit, teach us as we learn together. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a passage in the Old Testament, or New Testament, I should say, that I think touches upon what we're going to be talking about this morning. If you go to Hebrews chapter 2, Hebrews chapter 2, we'll look at verses 2 through 4. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? After it was at the first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard, And God also bearing witness with them, both by signs and wonders, and by various miracles, and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. And so as we have a word and we think about miracles and healing, we know just from that passage alone that God established the witness of the apostles, the witness of the early church by signs, wonders, various miracles. As we ask maybe those, the question, why the sign gifts? Why tongues? Why prophecy? Why healing? Why miracles? Remember at the time we talked about this of 1 Corinthians and even the writing of Hebrews, God's word was still being circulated, identified. The first century believers had access to only the Old Testament scrolls. They were not, as the New Testament was not complete yet. So if a teacher stood up proclaiming right and wrong, if a teacher stood up proclaiming that these are Jesus' teaching. The hearers needed a way to know for sure, how do I know I can trust this person? And before the New Testament was complete, signs and wonders confirmed, authenticated that the speaker 
should definitely be listened to and attested to the validity and authenticity of the speaker's words. And so God used these sign gifts to help determine who was authentic. It was a needed gift, for sure. Well, how would we define miracles? I mean, sometimes we treat the word a little lightly. Miracles defy natural reasoning. They're extraordinary, unexplainable events that point to supernatural power. They are not normal or simply improbable. You finding a parking place at the marketplace that doesn't really qualify is a miracle. However, if you see a car levitate and move over to a different part, maybe now we're starting to talk about a miracle. And so we shouldn't use that word lightly. A miracle is when we read in the Bible, I mean, clearly, they defied natural reasoning. But they were never to draw a crowd or to draw attention to a person. Rather, the miracles were meant to draw people to faith in the God of the miracles. And as we read through Acts, and we've looked at several verses, there were two reactions that were consistent to God's miracles that we read. One was the unsaved believed the message of the gospel. They saw the miracles, and they said, boy, we better listen to the message that accompanied the miracle. And so people believe the message, unsaved people. But there was a second purpose behind it all. Christians could recognize and therefore, as I mentioned already, trust God's messengers. So as we look at miracles, there was two overriding purposes of them. Unsaved believe the message, and Christians could recognize and therefore trust God's messengers. I find it pretty amazing that we can put such an emphasis on miracles today at the expense of the message. There are a lot of ministries that promote the miraculous, the sign gifts, and yet there's no message of the gospel behind it. You kind of wonder what they're thinking. Um, Yet this whole thrust of experience is so prevalent in the church and certainly in our culture. As I look at Scripture, I can't find a clear as I mentioned this last week, a clear statement that says the gift of miracles has ceased. Matter of fact, it's listed among the other gifts as if it's just one gift of many. And so I don't think it would be good study of Scripture to go and start plucking some out of the list just because they don't make sense to us or they defy our boundaries or what we perceive as something that could really happen. Yet, if we look at the full picture of Scripture and the purposes especially, it seems God had two specific reasons. That people would believe the gospel, that people would pay attention to the gospel. And to pay attention to the gospel was to trust that the messenger was speaking from God. Miracles came along with that particular intent. You know, it's interesting too, as we look at the miraculous, we we see that God seems that when God introduced something new, it was accompanied by miracles. If you look at Moses, you look at his ministry and and how the law came through Moses, it was accompanied by miracles. If you look at Elijah, his new prophetic witness was accompanied by miracles. Jesus in the Messianic ministry, miracles. The apostles in the early church, accompanied by miracles. In other words, they had a purpose. They authenticated that these men, 
came from God, and they had a ministry that was anointing, that accompanied the anointing of God. But it seemed as those ears got underway, miracles seemed to fade somewhat. And so in light of that, I don't see miracles as normative, especially in the American church. Like I said, we got such a small slice of Christianity in America, there's a big world out there. And to say God isn't using miracles beyond a normative way, I don't think we can make that claim. But I think in the American church, I don't think we see miracles, I don't think, as normative. What I do see is not chasing miracles, but pursuing Jesus. That's what we're called to do, to pursue a deeper relationship with Christ, to draw closer to him, to keep in step with the Spirit so the Spirit can do what God wants done, whatever that looks like. What about healings? We can kind of throw them in the same boat, but they are specified as differently. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 10, says, To another the effecting of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. Verse 9, to another faith, I'm going backwards, um, by the same spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one spirit. Verse 28, God is appointed in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles and gifts of healing, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues, healings. This is a unique one because you can actually probably go online and, and, and you can give 25 bucks to a ministry and they'll send you a handkerchief that's been prayed over that if you get that handkerchief and hang on to it, you can receive healing. Please don't send your $25 there. Not a good idea. But what do we, how do we approach healing, though? Well, first of all, I find it interesting that when Corinthians uses the word healing in conjunction with gifts, it uses the gifts plural. Not gift of healing, but gifts. There's two ways to consider that. Each separate gift is a healing. Susie was healed, that's a gift. Bob was healed, that's a gift. Each individual healing is a gift. Gifts of healing. The other way to look at it is the various ways that people can be healed. In other words, there's healing at every level of human need. There's physical healings. There's spiritual healings. There's emotional healings. And it actually could be both. But I tend to think that what... What um, Paul is saying is here is that when God gives a gift, it's, it's each individual healing is a gift. And, and if you've been healed, you would certainly affirm that. What a gift that was given to me, that God gave healing. But again, Scripture says there are four purposes for healing. They weren't just, God didn't give the gifts of healing just randomly or, hey, this is going to be kind of fun. Let's see how people handle this one. There are four really important purposes. One is like miracles, to authenticate God's word. It was a sign the gospel was valid. It was a sign that God has drawn near. And as we look at the healings in Jesus' ministry, they're unmistakable. And what's really interesting, too, is some people never even ask for one. Jesus, in his grace, brought healing. Other times they were on their knees begging for healing. And so people's condition, the way people approached Jesus was really different. And so we can't make a cookie-cutter approach to say if we do it this way, there will be healing. But one of the purposes of healing was to authenticate God's word. Another one was to comfort God's people. Health to the ill, mentally, physically, demonstrates God's mercy to the distressed. 
And so there was comfort for God's people. Another purpose of healing is it, re- it removes hindrances to God's ministry. In other words, it equips people for ministry by, mo- by removing physical uh, um, barriers, impediments. And so God would give a gift of healing, and it would equip somebody for ministry by giving them healing, enabling them to minister in increasing ways. And ultimately, the one that wraps it all up is healings were meant to glorify God's name. As people, we see evidence of God's love, power, wisdom, goodness, and presence. And so there are purposes behind God's healing. Authenticate God's word, comfort God's people, remove hindrances to God's ministry, and to glorify God's name. Those were the purposes. But, boy, you look in a landscape of the world we live in, and we see a whole lot of different focus on healings. Here's a few extreme teachings. Anyone with the gift of healing has the ability to heal at will. You won't find that validated in Scripture. Matter of fact, you can find schools of healing where you can go and someone will show you how to acquire this gift. Uh, Someone will go, and if you go there, they'll teach you how to conjure up healings. They'll even tell you to go on the street and just start praying for people. And as your faith increases and you figure out how to do it, there will be more healings. Don't go to those schools. They're a distraction from the gospel. And frankly, I don't see them as biblical. And so one of the extreme teaches is anyone with the gift of healing has the ability to heal at will. Another extreme is healing's entirely dependent on the faith of the sick person. In other words, if we pray for somebody who needs healing, they're not healed. This teaching says it's because they don't have enough faith. Think about how hurtful that could be. I mean, you could have a person of great faith seeking God over and over, trusting God, trusting God's will, and someone comes along and says, you don't have enough faith. I mean, what a hurtful thing that is. And what an unbiblical thing to say. Because you don't know that. On the other extreme, you got those two extremes, but you got the other extreme that says the gift of healing for was only New Testament times. God doesn't heal anymore. Example, I had a conversation with a man. He says to me, I don't believe in miraculous healings. I said, okay. I said, well, do you believe God heals? Yes. Would you consider the way when God heals somebody, would you consider it a miracle? Yes. Isn't that a miraculous healing? Oh, Yes. But it wasn't so much that he didn't believe. He was afraid of miraculous healings. Well, I know why. Because we can't control them. They're out of our control. We can't explain them. It's just clearly God. And for some, that frightens us. That's a power we don't encounter every day. So does God heal? Yes, he does. But he does it according to his will. He might not heal everybody. Some of you here have had or are seeking God for healing of someone you love dearly. Might be yourself. And you've prayed and you should. You should seek God for healing. But he might not. That's entirely up to him. 
it's as he distributes these gifts, remember the Holy Spirit distributes them how? As he wills, not as we. But we are encouraged to pray, to seek God for healing, and we should. But also, it'd be good to remember that God heals on different levels. Don't think of healing strictly as physical. I mean, how much more of a miracle when we pray for physical healing and God uses what that person's going to to bring spiritual healing? Wouldn't that not even be a greater miracle? And it is. That's the one we should be seeking. And so we got to be careful of looking at miracles just solely through the lens of, of a physical. I mean, you might have known people who have great emotional healing was needed. Deep hurt and scars, and, and as you sought God, as they sought God, uh, God, there was a peace that came, a calmness, an assurance, a certainty in their life hadn't known before. I, I think that's an amazing miracle. Amazing. God still heals, and so we don't want to put him in a box. But personally, I, to be honest, I don't believe in faith healers. I believe God heals. I believe God works miracles. I don't see a person always having a, the gift of healing. I believe gifts are each healing, not one person. But I would be willing to affirm that God may use some multiple times to offer this gift of healing to another person. But we have to look at 2 Corinthians 12, Galatians 4, 1 Timothy 5, 2 Timothy 4, to see, to see circumstances where healing did not come. God in his wisdom and his sovereignty said, I'm not going to give healing in these situations. So it might not be God's will to be healed. And so we need to be very clear on that. We know from the history and the story of redemption throughout the Bible that physical sickness, death, disease came into the world as a result of the fall of Adam. And the good news of the gospel is that when Jesus redeemed us, he paid for our sins, he conquered death, hell, sickness, and disease that you and I could have freedom one day from infirmity. But our experience of that freedom will not be ours, really, until his return. But in the meantime, God may give a foretaste of that ultimate healing by providing physical, mental healing, emotional healing as we walk this earth. I think there would be some that would teach because Jesus conquered sickness and disease that we should always experience it here. I don't think that's true. We will ultimately experience it, that's for sure, one day when Jesus comes back. But as with any gift that God gives us, as we talked about, I can't emphasize enough, when God gives gifts to the body, he gives it to bless and build up the body. And I wonder, don't miss God's gift to the body? How very sad when people pull away from a brother or sister who may, by the Spirit of God, have a gift that could bless you. I think we lose much when we pull away from the body. I think we should pray for healing. I think medicine is maybe how God brings healing. We don't know. Might be how God provides relief. But certainly should be our desire to pray and ask God to work in each situation His will. And if it's to bring physical healing, rejoice. If it's to use that particular hardship in that person's life to draw them closer or to provide opportunities to share the gospel to people they would never have had a chance. I mean, I've talked with people who are Christians who had to go in for chemo treatments and there they sat day after day after day and they got to share Christ with somebody they never would have had a chance to share Christ with. 
But God allowed that situation to bring his missionary in there and to share Christ with, with those persons. That's just like God to do stuff like that. And so God arranges all those things, and he has a great will. Although I don't believe it's normative, I think you and I need to be open to God's work and maybe equipping someone to have hands he uses to heal in various ways. Let's not harden our heart and quench the spirit that way. Let's just be open to let God be God, and he might use the gifts of healing. And so as we consider this particular thing, nowhere the Bible state the gifts have ceased. 1 Corinthians 12 again, those signs are bracketed with other gifts we know still exist. But we need to note the priority is given to the other gifts above the sign gifts. And I would add this, neither the miracles or the healings are as convincing as Scripture. I get that from a little passage in Luke 16.31. Jesus, as usual, gets right to the issue with people. It's a story of rich man and Lazarus. And as the story goes on, Jesus wraps the story up. I, I just want to camp on his statement here. He said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. In other words, as they, they listen to the law and the word of God, law and the prophets, and they're not persuaded, not even miracles is going to persuade them. It's God's word that can, that can soften the heart of the skeptic. It's God's word that's living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. And so we need to focus on the scriptures. As I read the New Testament, it seems Jesus tried to, I don't know, keep the healing drama to a low, so to speak. He focused on his mission to come and save and get people's awakened that the Messiah had come. But that was his focus. But let's remember that Satan's a glitzy showman. And whenever healing is being hyped, for publicity, beware of the counterfeit. Because miracles and healing ultimately have their purpose to point to Jesus Christ. And so as the gospel, as we build up, as we seek to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, as we seek to build up the body to carry out the mission God has for us, as elders, we had a conversation some months ago, and the agreement among all the elders was that we won't focus on the ministry of training equipping or the practice of sign gifts because we want to focus on the gospel, getting the gospel out to our communities. There's a strong desire to see the Spirit move in using us to lead people to the Savior. That's our heart. That's our focus. And that'll be something we continue to exhort you to. And so miracles and healings, tongues, prophecies, sign gifts that I don't think have ceased well, I personally don't believe they're normative in the church. I do believe God still uses them throughout our world and through the church to build up his body and to glorify his name. But as we've looked at all these weeks of study on the Holy Spirit, what's God's word for us as we wrap this up? I think there's two levels, personally and corporately. In John chapter 7, Jesus stands up among a great crowd. He's been teaching at the feast. It's the last day. And so he's kind of culminating some teaching. A lot of people there, they've heard this teaching. And it says, on the last great day of the feast, Jesus stood. And he cried out, which means 
He cried out. Uh, um, um, he projected his voice. Here's what he said. If any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Verse 38, he who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. By this, he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for the Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not glorified. How do you drink of the Spirit? How do you do that? Well, we read in Romans that those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. You see, we drink of the Spirit by setting our mind on the things of the Spirit. And the question Jesus had on the forefront is, are you thirsty? Are you thirsty for more of God? And you know how it is when you're thirsty, right? You can't wait to get that to satisfy your thirst. you got to have some water. you got to have some Gatorade. you got to have something to quench the thirst. There's a desire there. And if we desire, if we thirst for more of God, Jesus equates it with the presence of the Holy Spirit. And to do that, we set our minds on the things of the Spirit. We ask the Spirit of God to make those things part of our life. We've talked throughout our series about some phrases in Scripture that are encouragement to the body of Christ, that we are to be led by the Spirit, that we are to walk by the Spirit, that we are to keep in step with the Spirit. All things we are to be controlled by the Spirit in an ongoing, day-by-day way. There's a command to be filled with the Spirit, to cry out to God, I need you. I can't do this on my own. I can't have the impact I need. I can't walk in victory on my own. I can't speak words that build up my family on my own. Holy Spirit, I need you. Fill me is to be the constant cry of our heart. And the Holy Spirit's a person. He doesn't come in parts. Not like the Holy Spirit says, I'm going to give you an eighth of me today. No, he doesn't come in parts. But so the command be filled indicates it's not usually our condition, but that the Spirit wants to come and fill us with his presence, with his peace, with his power, and change us so that our lives exhibit his fruit, not our natural tendencies. The Spirit of God is guaranteed to ask you and I to do something you and I wouldn't normally want or choose to do. Think about that. You see, the Holy Spirit's not into comfort. He's going to ask you and I to do things that we're uncomfortable with. We wouldn't naturally do. I don't know what it would be. It could be a lot of things. I can point to a lot of things in my life he's asked me to do that I certainly, to be frankly honest, didn't want to do. Kind of like I went kicking and screaming. Um, You've maybe done that as well. But he will. He doesn't lead us to comfortable places. Holy Spirit will mold us you and I, into the person we were made to be. He will lead us to Christ-likeness. He'll give you and I the power to walk in victory and in freedom. He will lead you and I to a greater boldness in sharing Jesus. He will lead you and I to a deeper worship. He will lead you and I to sacrificially live and give. That's where he'll lead us. The question is, do you want to be led there? And that's a dangerous prayer because, again, he might lead you to the very uncomfortable. He might lead you to risk, not for the sake of risk, 
but to make you more like Christ and to have an impact in the world, is that really what you want? Do you want to be led by the Spirit? That's really a key question as we wrap up this series. Because he will produce in you his life, his fruit, and you'll have impact. And as we seek more, we will find him to be faithful, to give us more. As you and I yield to him, as we ask him to fill us, as we read and meditate upon his word, the spirit-inspired word, we learn there's this life-giving connection between the word of God and the spirit of God that transforms us. Seek him by believing what you hear in his word and obeying it. And when he convicts, responds. When he leads, go. That's the best way we can respond to to the Holy Spirit. And I don't know what that's going to look like in your life. That's the beautiful thing about the Holy Spirit. We can't dogmatically paint the picture of what it looks like in every believer's life. I don't know. But there is a corporate dimension to the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit gives us power to live corporately, to serve one another, to witness to our community. And everything we will ever do or will ever do must be from God. In Galatians 3, verse 3 and 5, we learn Paul tells us that human effort is totally inadequate for the task. We need the Spirit who began the work in us. I ask the question, why would we not call upon God by his spirit to work in our midst? I mean, think about it. The only power available to keep us victorious comes from the Holy Spirit. The only power that can keep us unified comes through the Holy Spirit. The only power that can make Elam be who God wants Elam to be is by the Holy Spirit. The only power that can keep you and I abiding in Christ and empower us to have the impact we need and Dassel and Kokato, it's from the Holy Spirit. Why would we not call upon God to fill us? I think that's maybe an important question. And as we together grow and learn, we can trust God to bring his conviction, his transformation. When the word is taught and we respond, God transforms us. Men, women, children come to Christ and long more for him. And the Holy Spirit brings life change. And really, as we even think about church, all the church growth experts and a lot of church health plans and a lot of church discipleship plans have this measuring stick of growing in numbers. But if that's our measuring stick, we got it all wrong. The measuring stick of any church is are we becoming more like Jesus Christ? And are we reaching people with the gospel? That's all that really matters. Numbers don't tell a story from heaven's perspective. And so you and I need to make sure we measure by how the Spirit measures. And all these things, Christ-likeness and people coming to the gospel, happens because the Spirit works. Because remember, the church is a spiritual organism. It's not an organization. And we fight battles only, spiritual battles only in the power of the Holy Spirit. We, We don't have the stuff. We don't have the stuff necessary to win those battles. When we have trouble with a brother and sister in Christ, we can go trusting the Holy Spirit, calling upon the Holy Spirit to bring love and healing. You see, that's what the Holy Spirit does. That's his ministry. And we can try to have a well-oiled machine. There's a lot of 
ministries that got all their I's dotted and T's crossed. We read about them. They're, as I said, they're like well-oiled machines. They just keep running. But they're void of power. They're void of impact. They look good. They sound good. But I don't want to be that. i got to be honest. There's a huge part of me that kind of wants, this might scare you, but I hope not, there's, there's a part of me that just wants a ministry that I can't explain, that is kind of out of control, that's kind of a mess. Not because we made it a mess. Because it's messy because there's dirty people coming to the Savior. There's, there's ugly things being exposed where repentance takes place. There's marriages right on the brink that God's beginning a transformation. It's not always pretty, but it's God at work. That's what I want. That's what I long for. It's my cry, God, please help us to be real, to really be about what you're doing. Even when it's messy, even when it's hard to control, I want to hang on. That's kind of the I just want to hang on and say, go Holy Spirit. I'm not going to try to control you. I just want to hang on where you go. And I won't try to explain everything. We'll just try to be faithful to serve you where you go and to let you be who you are, God. I don't want to fall prey to this appeal of the new. But I want to be standing on the, the true truths of the gospel. And some people, the gospel doesn't seem spectacular enough, to be honest. They long for the newest, latest technique Man, but I see the prayer of the early believers in Acts was simply this. God, enable your, your servant to speak the word. That was their prayer. God, Holy Spirit, enable me, empower me to speak your word. It's interesting. I read it in a book by J.I. Packer. He talked about revival and the signs of revival. And it's not what we would expect. We think revival, sometimes we think of the spectacular. We think of the miraculous. But signs of revival were simply this. God's people had a passion to promote and proclaim the gospel, and they did it. They had a desire for holiness and obedience. And that's what they focused on. And God brought revival. Pretty simple, huh? And history shows it in the church. God did amazing things. When people went and told other people about the gospel and the power of the Spirit, God did amazing things when there was repentance and brokenness and people cried out, God, make me holy. Revival came. And the one who stirred it all, Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God. That's why I long to cry out for him together. That you and I might have a commitment to the word, communicating the gospel in love, wholehearted worship, There'd be a testimony of happy people who are experiencing the touch of God in their life. Worshipers who'd come to church to contribute, not to, con to be a consumer. That's a mark of the Spirit of God at work. I'm so convinced of this that God moves among his people, that God responds to the prayers of his people, that we're going to, this year, at least have two opportunities of corporate prayer meetings. You could call them old school when we get together, together and call upon God to do what only he can. When together we join our hearts and with one heart and one mouth, we cry out to God. God, please work. Please use us. Break down the walls in our community. 
those type of prayers. We have one coming up here the end of this month. I exhort you to come as we pray for our Easter service, as we pray for our community and the lost, because it's the Holy, one, Holy Spirit's the one who stirs our heart. Revival will come out of a gospel focus, out of earnest prayer in the love of the saints. And together, we will seek God's Spirit to work mightily as we study, stand on His Word, pray together under His Lordship, love one another, love the unsaved, and witness to them. As I thought about praying together, I'm going to ask Leah to come up. I, I, you know, sometimes I like to write out prayers, and, but I came across in one of my reading an old hymn by a man named Joseph Hart. I don't know his story at all. I do know God used him to write a, a, an incredible hymn that really, to be honest, it's a prayer. And actually, if you listen to the word, it's a corporate prayer. And so I want to sing this prayer. And this would not be a song, but this would really be our heart's prayer that we would join together, that you and I would find ourselves fully surrendered to the indwelling Spirit of God. And so let's join together in this prayer.